Again, if you'd have your Bibles, turn with us to our passage this morning, found in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Book of Luke, chapter 22, we'll begin reading with verse 14, another account of the Lord's Supper. Luke gives us a little more information about it. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 14. This is before the crucifixion of our Lord. And Jesus is taking the Passover, something they did every year, and he's going to change it into the Lord's Supper. Look what it says. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after that they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we begin to reflect and remember, help us, Father, to understand what we're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities, he has maybe the most famous line in literature. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Dickens started from two completely different places and then wove the tale together, and everything came together. When we come to the Lord's Supper, the same same thing's happening. Instead of two locations coming together, what we will have are two locations and two time periods coming together. So some have said maybe the Lord's Supper could be called a tale of two symbols. To understand, you have to understand what Jesus and the disciples were doing called the Passover. And you have to go all the way back in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were slaves to Egypt. About 1,200 years before Christ walked the earth. And for 400 years, they were praying for God to rescue them. God, will you come and and rescue us? And they prayed and they prayed. And finally, the brutality and the cruelty reached a crescendo with the first Jewish holocaust. When they decided to kill the male children. But one mother, one Jewish mother, refused the order. And she kept her baby until it came too dangerous for her to keep, for him and for her. And so she had a plan. She took a basket and made it waterproof and made a covering. And she put the child inside. And she took the basket with the child and put it in the water and floated it down the river toward the daughters of Pharaoh. That child's name was Moses. Now, you have to understand something. This was a sign of faith. I mean, because, yes, she, she made sure it didn't, uh, uh, made sure that it was covered and made sure that it wouldn't sink. But the river still had cro- crocodiles. And what if there was a leak? And what if the daughters of Pharaoh saw the child and killed him? You see what she did? She did all that she could, and then she trusted God for the rest. 
And when the daughter of Pharaoh saw Moses, her heart was melted, and she took him in. And by the providence of God, for the next 40 years, Moses grew up as Egyptian royalty. He spent the next 40 years learning about military strategy, learning how to be a leader, how to fight, and how to lead. He was destined to become a leader, but one day in anger, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was hurting one of his Jewish brothers. And what Moses thought he had done in secret word spread. And so Moses had to flee into the wilderness. And so here you have Moses, the first 40 years of his life, he learned how to be a leader. And now the next 40 years, he's going to learn about the wilderness and the desert. He's going to learn the lesson about waiting on God and having faith. And then one day, Moses saw this burning bush that was not consumed, and it was God speaking to him and said, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses returned, and Pharaoh would not let the people go, and so God sent plagues to, to the Egyptians. And the last plague was the worst. God would avenge the loss of all those babies by taking the life of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And on that terrifying night, death will be released to visit every home, and the firstborn would die. In fact, not a single parent would be left untouched. In fact, it made no difference if you were the master or a slave, if you were free or not. In fact, the Exodus chapter 12 said even the firstborn of animals would die. But God made a special provision for his children. He instructed them to have two feasts, the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread. On the 10th of the month, the Jews were to set aside an unblemished lamb for the slaughter. Then on the 14th, they would go around the house and remove all the leaven. Now, God has nothing against leaven, but it was symbolic that they would understand later that leaven meant sin, equals sin. And so they were removing sin from their homes, and they would not eat leaven for seven days. And on the same day, the women took the leaven out of the home. The Jews would slaughter a lamb. The meat would be for the Passover. And they would take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost. And when the angel of death would come that night, if the angel saw the blood, he would pass over and not harm them. And on that night, as the nation of Israel huddled together in their homes, eating roasted lamb and bitter herbs and unleavened breath, the death angel prowled the streets of Egypt. And when he saw the blood, he passed over. And every year the Jews would celebrate the Passover and they would remember that event. And that's what Jesus is doing that night. Now I want you to think about it just for a few moments. Four things on that Passover I want you to hold on to. Number one, something had to die, there was no substitute. Something had to die that night. Without death, there could be no salvation. That is what we learn from that passage. Without death, there is no salvation. And so a lamb was, was killed to be the one. Number two, notice that the gift must be accepted. God did not force anyone to do this. God did not force anyone to do what he asked them to do. The application was completely voluntary. And it's possible that some of the Jews didn't do it. I mean, it's possible they heard this and they thought, well, this is crazy. 
We're not going to do this. If we put the blood on the door, they're going to know we're up to something. Or maybe they thought, well, we can just survive. We'll take our chances. Whatever the case, they had a choice. This gift must be accepted. Third, faith was required. To do this, you had to have faith. I mean, you had to have faith that what God said he meant. You had to have faith to put the blood on the door. This is applied faith. They listened, they heard, and then they had to do something to demonstrate their faith. This is faith on display. Think about it. Again, if the death angel didn't come, they would look like fools. And finally, the mark was permanent. I didn't learn this until about a few years ago. That time period, the homes were made of brick that was porous. So any mark would be permanent. So what they're doing is this is going to be there forever. You couldn't wash it off. Once they put the blood on that house, it will be a sign forever. And therefore, the Passover became a permanent symbol of God's deliverance. Now, they left Egypt, and they took the Passover meal with them as a reminder. And so in the book of Mark, Luke, John, and Matthew, we have the account of the Lord's Supper. About 1,300 years later, Jesus is celebrating the meal. Verse 19. He said, he broke, talking about the bread, took some bread, giving thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They did this every year. And Jesus went off script. You see, every male leader that, that did the Passover, he had to say certain things. Jesus went off script. He said, remembrance of me. The bread represented the lamb. The bread represented being the sin sinlessness. And Jesus said, do this. As you're eating this bread, remember me. And maybe the disciples are looking at one another, and they're saying, hey, didn't Jesus say in John chapter 6, remember, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Then in verse 20, and in the same way, he took the cup after which he had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus changed the script again. You see, Jesus saying, the Old Testament, the, 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 what Moses did, that's the Old Covenant. This is the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, that, that is the, of law. We're talking about grace now. He said, well, what I'm doing today is something completely new. This cup represents the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is saying, just as the death angel passed over the homes of the Israelites, the judgment of God will pass over you. If you have my blood on you. That's what he's saying. Do you see the similarities? Number one. Someone had to die. This morning as we take the Lord's Supper. It is a reminder that Jesus had to give his life. And through his death. We have salvation. Number two. You have to accept the gift. No one's going to force you to take the Lord's Supper. No one's going to force you to give your life to Jesus. It's a gift. You either accept or you reject. But remember, if you do not receive him, when you die, you will face the consequences. Third, this is applied by faith. To accept Christ in your life is a sign of faith. What you're saying is, I believe in faith that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. Three days later, he arose 
and he's coming back. It's applied faith. And fourth, the mark is permanent. When you give your life to Christ, his blood is permanent because you now become part of the family of God. And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, remember what you're doing. Two symbols. Separated by thousands of miles and thousands of years that God, by his sovereignty, brings together that we're celebrating today. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're thinking about what Jesus did and what he's going to do by coming back. Edward Gibbon wrote about the success of the early Christians in the days of Rome. He said there's five reasons they were successful. Number one, the zeal of the early Christians. He said their zeal. Number two, the beliefs and future rewards. Number three, the power of miracles. Number four, the pure morals of Christians. And number five, the compact church organization. But it was number two that was fascinating. He said the early church believed in future rewards. They believed that one day they would stand before God and he would reward them for what they did on earth. This principle is found through Scripture. Now, we understand that one day we are going to stand before God and the greatest reward we will receive is Christ himself. But the Bible also says that we'll receive a reward for what we've done for him here. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace. But we are saved to do work. And the Lord will reward us. Pablo Casale died at age 96. But even when he was 90 years of age, he practiced the cello for five hours a day. I want you to think about this. This man, who many believe was part of the greatest cellos ever lived, practiced at 90 five hours a day. And someone asked him, why did you do this? <laughs> why do you practice so much at your age? And I love his response. He said, I practice because I have the impression I am making a little progress. I think I'm making a little progress. As we take the Lord's Supper, let us be reminded that we're making a little progress every day growing in Christ. And we're not going to give up until we stand before him the day he returns. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives to us the first account of the Lord's Supper. Paul was the first person to write about it. He tells us what is required. Listen to what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. 
But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Paul tells us there are two requirements for the Lord's Supper. The first requirement, there needs to be that time you ask Christ in your life in a personal way. You need to be a believer. The second requirement is, Paul says, don't do this in an unworthy manner. What he means by that is there should be no unconfessed sin in your life. Now, when you gave your life to Christ, Christ forgave you, but we still mess up. We still sin. So if there's a sin in your life that you have not asked forgiveness of, or there's a sin that you won't ask forgiveness of, you need to do it today before you take the Lord's Supper. And this is between you and God. In a few moments, we're going to have a moment of silence, and that's when you pray privately if there's anything that you have not asked forgiveness. If you cannot, then we ask you simply, do not take the Lord's Supper today. Because Paul said, let each man examine himself. This is between you and God, but there's a warning here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As you bow your heads, if there's a sin in your life that you haven't confessed, or if God is revealing something to you privately, just say, Lord, forgive me of that sin. Father in heaven, examine our hearts. Father, if there's a sin in our life that, Father, we have not dealt with, will you forgive us today? Father, maybe the sin of lust. Father, maybe the sin of racism. Father, maybe the sin of greed. Father, we may may have cheated, cheated on someone at work. Father, we may have said something unkind and we've never asked forgiveness. Father, maybe we've neglected to share our faith. Or, Father, we are not obedient to what you're telling us. Father, whatever it may be, today will you forgive us that we may partake of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.